Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dendren shortly, and of course our former ITN journo turned punter Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now first up, with a little over 50 days till Australia take on France in Qatar, the Socceroos took their final bow over the last week in their farewell series, which doubled up as the centenary celebrations against New Zealand. It would be fair to say that on the strength of what we saw against the All-Whites, there is a power of work for Graham Arnold's men and some tricky selection decisions ahead of the World Cup. We'll go through all of that in the show with Socceroo legend and newly crowned Team of the Century member, John Cosmino. He pulls no punches, good mate of the show. After that, more news, the latest on the Socceroos around the world, the Matildas as well with Willem. Then in one of the more humiliating results of recent times, England were relegated to Tier 2 of the Nations League after going down to their Euro nemesis Italy. Hopes are beginning to plummet for a step up on their semi-final appearance in Russia and big questions being asked about whether Gareth Southgate should even get the opportunity to take the three lines there. We're not seriously thinking he'll get sacked, but the questions are being asked. We'll go through their chances and a look at their next appointment with Germany with one of England's leading journalists, Henry Winter from The Times, and we'll wrap it up with World Cup Corner. So, Edge, uh, what did you, from uh, your perch over there in Doha, as you prepare for the World Cup, make of, uh, of that doubleheader against New Zealand? Well, we won two games. Um, we Awamil scored a wonderful goal. I think he's a key player in the setup going forward. Uh, and Arnie got a good look at uh, some of the fringe players that um, will get an opportunity to go because of the expanded squad. So um, that's what I made of it. Um, and it was an interesting dynamic. Obviously, a great celebration of the Socceroos' 100 years. And we've got Cozzy with us shortly. Um, and I'm just really interested to see what he thought of um, the last two games and, in particular, uh, the challenges facing Graham Arnold. But uh, it's all sun shine over here in Doha, Rob. No clouds in the sky since I arrived. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the build-up continues to the World Cup. Excellent. But before we welcome Cosy Willem, uh, uh, look, you you went from one extreme to the other with uh, your uh, your uh, beloved cats in the AFL winning uh, and just absolutely destroying Sydney on Saturday, and then as you were recovering the next day, lying on the couch watching the uh, the Socceroos play New Zealand, uh, you were underwhelmed. Uh, put it this way, uh, I endured the Socceroos, looking very much forward to putting the replay on of the uh, of the Cats following it. But that's okay. Not often I endure the Socceroos. It's always good when they're on. Uh, I didn't think they were that good on Thursday night, but Cozzy is uh, is just about with us, and he'll he'll go into that. Uh, and it's always exciting to see some second stringers get some uh, get some international minutes in. So uh, look, I don't think that particularly changes uh, where we're at. I think it's still relatively uh, relatively. Probably more towards the negative at this point, but uh, let's welcome in Cozzy and see what he thinks. Cozzy, um, are, are we uh, being too negative to say we were disappointed with what we saw uh, over the course of those two games? Probably, yeah, I'd say so, because it, um, there's a lot of things that need to be put into context. And one of them is that um, certainly for last Thursday's game, half the squad only turned up the day before. And Edge, you were travelling from uh, west to east as often as you have. Would know that uh, that's the uh, that's the jet lag leg of it all, and uh, they were bugger. They looked fatigued on Thursday night, to be honest. Um, it was a lot fresher yesterday, um, a better game, especially once we went um, we scored that good. Uh, Danny uh, Mitch got that goal, 
um, we looked a little bit more confident, but we had different types of players on the park as well. I think Arnie has really got to decide how he wants to play. And you know, I think the one thing that did come out of it is that um, certainly from Thursday's game that you're going to play with one six. Aaron Moore is not that one six. We need a, you know, a, probably, <laughs> I know you can't do it now, but a Miller Yednak type in there, which we haven't got. So um, someone that big and strong, but um, he's going to have to look at like, maybe a Denny Genro like yesterday or, um, you know, maybe Cam Devlin, although very inexperienced, and that's probably the things that's going to work against them. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if Arnie goes to two sixes come the World Cup in reality. Did you agree with Graham's approach um, in play, effectively playing two different teams? And did we lose an opportunity just to refine the starting 11? Um, bearing in mind there's just very few opportunities for uh, the coaching staff to work with that starting 11 prior to the the, the match against France because of the way I the think when World Cup dates are structured. No, I don't think. I think Arnie did the right thing. He wanted to, to look at some youngsters like Quall yesterday and Jason Cummings and, um, and see how, uh, you know, other things did did work. I mean, I thought Thomas Deng was, was outstanding. Harrison Delbridge um, probably made a few mistakes, but, you know, he wasn't playing against, a, you know, they are playing against a half-decent, a very good side. Not a half-decent side. They're actually a very good side. Um, so I think Arnie... Looked at it. Um, it was a look. Part of it, let's be honest, was a PR exercise. It's, it's the hundred years of the Socceroos, and that's what it was all about last Thursday night, um, in particular. That's why it was played in Brisbane. That's why it was in New Zealand um, that we played against. So that was um, a part of it that some people tend to overlook. I mean, let's be realistic, guys. It's you know we're not playing France for two months. It, you know what happens today or, or last or yesterday or the or three days before that's irrelevant because these guys are all going to go back to their clubs and they're only going to be together for a week um, when we do get to camp in Doha because the, the you know the the competitions around the world will, will shut down obviously for that that period of time um, now you're not going to get the the amount of time that we had to prepare I mean you go back to the Peru game and Arnie had that team in camp for two weeks now you look at the Japan game back in March and it was horrible, but same thing. COVID interfered. Players couldn't make it. Arnie was sick himself. Um, very short preparation time. You know, guys in two days before, um, but two weeks when they were in camp in Doha to, to play that qualifier, the sudden death qualifier against Peru, and it was a vastly different team and a much better performance. So um, I don't think you can take too much out of this. And um, like I said, it needs to be put into perspective. Part of it was PR and part of it was just giving some guys a go and, um, getting the team back together to celebrate the 100 years more than prayer for Pep for the World Cup because, it's, like I said, it's two months away. It's, it's you know, whatever you did in two or three days this last week or so, it's going to have no relevance in two months' time. Well, um, just on that note, um, 26 plays he can take to the World Cup, which is a couple more than um, was in 2018. Does that change his approach to selection in any way? Can he roll the dice on a Garen Quall, for example, who... Oh, I don't think it'll um, change his, his selection. I mean, where he's... What he's got to do is make some decisions about how he's going to play at the back. It, um, the, the, you know, most of that squad picks itself. And Arnie is very loyal um, as a coach to players that have done a job for him. And he's going to, you know, keep, I think, most of that squad that we, we, we've seen in the last two matches. Um, I don't think he's, he's going to bin anybody. I would love to see Thomas Deng in there. I think that we've got to look at how we how we defend. And I thought, you know, if you really look at it, we did defend poorly, um, not so much yesterday, but certainly on, on Wednesday night. And I think there's a question mark over Trent Sainsbury. Um, and that's a tough one for Arnie, um, given his family. 
Um, but Thomas Deng was outstanding. Kai Rolls, if he's fit, um, for me, has to be picked. If, you know, Bailey Wright. I mean, both Wright and Riles did an unbelievable did an unbelievable job against Peru. They were outstanding that night. Um, you know, yet for them to miss out and only risking bringing Harry Suter back in after being out for 12 months with a knee reconstruction. You know, you're out for 12 months, especially with a knee recon. It takes you 6 to 12 to get it right again. John, I'm interested in your thoughts on the midfield that started in New Zealand in the second game. Denny John Rowe, Connor Metcalf and Riley McGree. Uh, I think we all agree that they are our future probably beyond this World Cup. How do you think they fared as a collective on Sunday? I think they did well. Um, you know, given that they haven't really spent a lot of time together. Um, Riley McGree, for me, is outstanding. He, I mean, he could play as a wide player. He can play outside the wind. He can play as a 10. Um, he could do a half a job as a six because I think he loves to get forward. So he won't uh, be disciplined in terms of sitting in. But, um, I think, you know, he's, a, he's a, certainly a, a number one pick. Connor Metcalf, um, is certainly a player of the future. Denny Jonrow hasn't had a lot of game time, um, at his club, but, I think also, once again, he's a player of the future and you, Arnie's got to look at it. Um, and once again, and probably I'll get back for saying it, but mate, we're not going to win the World Cup. But let's be realistic. If we made the second round, that would be outstanding. Um, you know, you go back to 2006 and uh, you look at the squad that Hitting had and the quality of the players. You know, I mean, we had Mark Bresciano and Vince Grilla playing every week in the Serie A. Both those guys had had, you know, almost 300 games up in Serie A each. You know, we had players in the English Premier League playing regularly every week. You know, it was it was a vastly different side to what we've got now. So I think, you know, and it, it's not being flippant when I say this, but you know, we've qualified for the World Cup, and that's the most important thing. Um, we've got to look at it that we've got to develop players for the future where we can be better, and you've got to give them the opportunities now. You can't say, well, I'm not going to take you and. Um, you know, maybe you'll get better in four years' time. I'd, I'd be looking at the, the players of the future now, and those three that you mentioned are that, like Grand Quall to start with. He, I think he's got to get on the plane. And before I hand you back to Rob, John, can't let you go without saying a big congratulations for your selection in the Socceroos Team of the Century. What does that mean to you? And looking at the other guys in the squad, would you fancy yourself to get on the park for a start? I'd fancy myself to get on the park. I'd have to. But look, I'll be honest. For me, it was a, it was a real surprise. I... Um, you know, I know a lot of players that certainly came before me that, that played around uh, my time with me and and against me. Um, certainly, you know, guys that have been through the soccer reason a lot since that I think were far far more deserving of it than I was. But um, I'm not going to knock it back. <laughs> I'll take it. Good things like this don't come along too often in your life. So, yes, thank you very much. Cosy, I must ask you this question. You're about to settle up for another World Cup stint uh, with the Green and Gold Army. Are you looking forward to getting to Qatar and what are your expectations? For me, it's the football edge. That's the most important thing. You know, you're going to watch Socceroos playing against France that have got, you know, a stack of the best players in the world um, out on the pitch. You know, we're playing against Denmark. It's, it's another thing. They've got some quality individuals as well. So it, it is a World Cup. They only come around every four years and on. I'm not getting any younger, so better take the chance while it comes, mate. So I appreciate the opportunity. Obviously, the, you mentioned two two of these guys um, who weren't at uh, at this camp. That's Harry Sutar and Kai Rolls um, um, and Tom Rogic. I mean, um, what do you do with the three of them? Um, Rogic, obviously, he's got his club now. Um, you'd imagine that if he can get some playing time under his belt, he'd uh, definitely go, but... 
Uh, Harry Suto with a knee and Kai Rolls with a metatarsal. What's uh, what's your view on rolling the dice on either of them? Well, a metatarsal heals a lot quicker than a than a uh, knee reconstruction. Uh, look, Harry Suter's I think he's a tidy defender. Um, I don't think he wins enough balls in the air on set pieces, given the the size of the bloke. I don't think he's aggressive enough um, in terms of being like really, really. The bloke is big. So he should be steamrolling people. Terry Butcher was um, a similar sort of build, but I remember I played against him, and he was um, he was just a, he's a monster. Um, I played against him when I was at Arsenal, and I played against him uh, for the national team when England came out in the eighties. Uh, and he was just so big and imposing. Um, I think I'd like to see Harry be a little bit more aggressive. Um, if he's going to get selected, you know, we should, like for set pieces, he should be winning everything. Tom Rogic is, um, it's a tough one because and I, I don't, I'd say this purely from a, like I look at it from a coaching perspective. When we haven't got the ball, when you've got Tom Rogic in the side, you're playing with 10 men. He's not the world's greatest defender. Um, he has moments in a game as well. Um, but we got the, the World Cup. You know, during a, a real crunch battle with Peru um, and the UAE a couple of months back, and we did that without Tom Rogic. And the team looked very cohesive. Um, it was very, very disciplined and structured. Um, with Tom, you've got to be a little bit more flexible, and um, I don't know if it's going to count for that much. You know, he's he's been out for a long time. I know no one knew why he just didn't front. He just said he didn't want to play anymore. Uh, I mean, Arnie probably knew a lot more to it than that, and and has kept his cards close to his chest. But, um, you know, for me, Tom Rogic may be off the bench, um, could be a great impact as a starter, um, especially against a team like France. I think, you know, when I know Arnie, being a defensive-minded coach, is, is going to get everything right in terms of what you do when we haven't got the ball. Um, so it's a tough one. That's why it's a tough call. Maybe having the, the 26, the extra three players in the squad, um you know, might give only a little bit of breathing space, but he's still got some very, very tough decisions to make. Cosy, thanks again for joining us, mate. Um, we'll, uh, I guess no problem, we'll talk to you next time when you're over there with Edge. Yep, speak soon. Okay, stick around. We're going to talk more soccerers and Matildas, more news, football news uh, around the world next with Willem on Box to Box. Everybody's going to buy hot spaces. Everybody's going to save a dollar or two. Love the jingle. Love my friends, the Accardos. From Hoyt's family companies, did you know? Australian owned and operated, employing Aussies in their factory in Moorabbin there. And we love cooking and eating on the show. We talk about it every week. Hoyt's Herbs and Spices are always on hand at our places for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and changing the mood of food. Derek, uh, do you like a, a nice uh, super spicy soup? I do. Hot and sour would be uh, one of my picks for a spicy soup. Oh, yeah, like a Thai style. Uh, I'm going to go with a spicy chicken and corn chowder. I mean, Willem is a, uh, a bloke who lives on his own. He's got to come up with some ideas. Um, if you've got a barbecue chicken at home and you're looking forward to looking to sort of use some of that uh, leftover meat, make a spicy chicken and corn chowder. You just need to saute some onion and bell peppers, capsicums, in uh, in a little butter. Get some flour in there as well. And then about a tablespoon of paprika and a teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes. Of course, we're talking about the Hoyts. You put your chicken broth in and your chicken and then spice it up with a little Worcestershire sauce, a couple of cubed potatoes in there, salt, heavy cream. Just let it simmer there. It'll be absolutely delicious. And remember, refill your empty spice jars with Hoyts value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyts. Will, are you going to make that soup? 
That sounds good, Rob. And I just wanted to drop in there that the Hoyts factory, as you said, is in Moorabbin, just around the corner from Moorabbin Indoor, where I've done some of my finest work on the futsal court. See, there you go. And if you're not in Melbourne, in Moorabbin, uh, just near St Kilda, let's put that into context uh, for uh, for uh, football supporters. Hoyts, Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we record the podcast, it's Monday morning in London. And the clock is ticking to tonight's full house at Wembley. For the three Lions, the four line, form line is grim. It's a run of three defeats in five matches. No wins in five. No goals from open play in 450 minutes. Uh, uh, they share that uh, ignominy with San Marino, the only other team that hasn't scored a uh, goal in open play and relegation from TA of the Nations League. And tonight, quite possibly the worst scenario awaits a wounded German side uh, coming off their own defeat against Hungary and looking to avoid the first back-to-back defeats of Hansi Flick's regime. Henry Winter from The Times, welcome to the show again. Is that a fair assessment of the uh, the situation as we speak? I think it's a fairly generous um, reflection. Well, I mean, I was in the England camp yesterday preparing, as you say, for the game uh, against Germany, listening to the players, listening to Southgate. And, you know, th- things have changed. So, look, what, what you know what the England fans are like. One game can slightly change your mood. But I think England heading into this World Cup, there's very little expectation about the team, about the squad, about the manager. There isn't the arrogance as it's often perceived uh, amongst England um, fans or of England fans going into this tournament. There's no expectation that England will go to Qatar and come home as as world champions. I just think that having sort of talked to the fans who were in Milan last week for the uh, 1-0 loss to Italy, which, as you say, relegated England. Uh, they just want England to be more on the front foot. They want to see England just play with, you know, the, the pride that they showed at the start of Southgate's regime. And they want players playing in their best positions. They don't want Bukayo Saka, who's been fantastic on the right wing for Arsenal, playing effectively at left-back to cover for Harry Maguire for England, as he did in Milan. So, uh, yeah, many issues. And uh, before we move on from the, the, the Germany match, uh, have you got any expectation that, that Gareth Southgate will rejig the, the, the lineup and, and actually play uh, an attacking game against England and, and risk the, the potential of, of losing this game? I think that all the, the signs coming out of England last night, well, not just signs, but fairly uh, verbal confirmation from um, Raheem Sterling. We were talking about, you know, when England play with the back four, what does that mean to you? And he just looked at us and went, well, the manager will just play with the back five you know, with wing backs. So I think that expectation is that England are set with this more cautious system. I think one thing that, you know, one piece of news that that broke about so seven, eight hours before the, the Germany game was that Trent Alexander-Arnold was not in the match day 23. And that was bemusing to anyone who's watched Liverpool, to anyone who's watched England struggle to get the ball forward quickly. We talk, Southgate talks rightly about England's need to be quicker in transition. When you look at a player like um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's played, what, 167 games for in the Premier League for Liverpool, 45 assists. Okay, some of their corners, some of their crosses, but, you know, some of his, the, the diagonals that he plays to, to, to Robertson, you know, he's, he's, he's probably England's best passer. He's certainly one of England's 
best, truest strikers of a ball uh, since Paul Scholes. If you stand behind Trent Alexander-Arnold, there, I mean, he, you know, he can fade it, but he can also ping it like a great golf drive, just 50, 60 yards, arrow straight. And I think any team who has a player like that, you know, has to find a place for him. Okay, they're defensive issues. We saw that in the Champions League final when he let Vinicius Junior of Real Madrid run off him to score the decisive moments. You know, he's 23. He's still making one or two mistakes defensively. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got a manager like Jurgen Klopp, who's a better manager than Southgate, who believes in him. So the whole going into this game against Germany uh, trends on a lot of people's minds. Do you think that despite all the pain that they're going through right now, having to play Germany, Italy, et cetera, that in a way, at least they're getting the wake-up call now, albeit with one one game left to go. Is this better than them having a couple of gimmies against some you know, mid-tier sides in order to prepare for this tournament? I mean, it's a good point. I mean, the, the, the relegation obviously affects um, seedings and standings and ability to, uh, to sort of qualify for future tournaments, particularly the UEFA. But then from what I can work out with UEFA, they seem to be letting everyone in. I mean, San Marino would probably be, you know, in, in a tournament in the future. So that is um, slightly frustrating that they're now, for, you know, when they do drop into tier B, that they're going to be playing against, in inverted commas, lesser opposition, which also has a knock-on effect with the clubs because the clubs will say, well, hang on, so you're not going to play. Our players are not going to play against Germany and Italy, which you know, will be a test for them. They're going to play to, with respect, slightly lesser opposition. So the whole club versus country debate, which had pretty much been solved by Southgate, um, you know, will rear its ugly head again. So look, it, it is frustrating that England are dropping that. But your point about to, to I mean, I've seen England have friendlies on the eve of tournaments and, you know, struggle in them. Um, I mean, they played an extraordinary team in 2010 in Rustenburg, and you just thought, well, how are England going to do in this tournament? And they, you know, they did what well, they got to. They played Germany and Bloemfontein, and they got knocked out. Um, so yeah, it is a. It, you're right. It is a wake up call. But you know what? This wake up call started, whatever it was, 14 months ago in the second half against Italy, when Mancini outwitted Southgate with his substitutions, completely transformed the midfield. Italy ran the sort of second half of the game, got back, obviously got back into it, equalised. So this issue of, you know, this wake-up call, that that was the wake-up call. But because of, it's really important, you know, for, I mean, I write a lot about this. That game was so important in terms of, People didn't really focus on the tactical side because it was all about the storming of Wembley by coked up uh, fans. It was all about the horrific racist abuse of the three black penalty takers uh, who missed. And so the focus, rightly, was, was on those stories. But missed was Southgate's failure of his in-game management. Look, he's, he's a good manager, but he's not on Klopp's level. He's not Guardiola's level. He's not Conte's level. And you've got players in the squad who are getting better coached at club level. So that's an issue. But look, against Germany and particularly going into the World Cup, if Southgate can show that he can change games, he can turn the tide tactically, then uh, th that's what England fans want to see. You said after the game, Henry, that Southgate was in danger of wasting a generation of talent and you've touched on it before England have experimented in the past with 
let's say, high-caliber managers such as Sven Goran Eriksson, Fabio Capello, etc. And some of the thinking behind Southgate's success as England manager is that he doesn't overthink it. He's more of a galvanizer. He's more about creating the team spirit in a short space of time and getting the best out of the players. But because these problems are now emerging, do you think that Southgate just doesn't have the tools or experience in his kit bag to be able to evolve this team, uh, change the formula, change the personnel, and just keeps going back to the the same old kind of mix mix of styles? It, yeah, it's, it's a good point, and it's a lengthy debate here. I mean, his previous experience as manager was not a particularly overwhelmingly impressive one in charge of the England under-21s, and then he got relegated with Middlesbrough. I, your point about spirit and about culture and about how he's drawn on actually the, the All Blacks ethos, if I can mention them on your esteemed Australian program, you know, this, he it, it's that's really big for him in terms of good citizens, sweep the sheds, people who go in and just little things like like the the, the players are just polite. I mean, quite rightly, they should be polite. You know, some elite sportsmen are, and. They've got good manners, little things like when they get up, having just um, had their meal, they put the table, the chairs back under the table, they take the tray and sort of, uh, you know, little things like that. Southgate's been so big on the culture and we've got a generation of players that, that you know, the public really respect now, which wasn't the case tumbling out of the Euros of 2016 to, to Iceland. So I think what he's done culturally, what he's done in terms of spirit, what he's done certainly for the first five years, of actually reducing the weight that seems to be woven into the, the, the fabric of the England shirt, made them a little bit more fearless, made players really enjoy turning up for England duty, where some players would say, oh, I've got a slightly tight hamstring, I don't want to risk it, um, and, and withdraw from contention in the past. That doesn't really happen now. Players players report and they're proud to report. So that cultural thing is, is changed. But yeah, just coming back to, to, to your point, it's 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 as ever elite sport, it's the fine margins and it is just making those right decisions and making them two minutes ahead of a Mancini so that England keep the initiative. England and the players and certainly Southgate have, have you know, following on from that, have had the, I suppose, the media, the, the public on their side. And this is probably the first time that Southgate's going to have to deal with the situation where the, the headlines are negative, where there's questions about um, Harry Maguire or, or any of the any of any of any of his selections. Um, we've seen where this road with England goes before. We've seen the way that you know expectation, criticism, scandal, and all these things that seem to hold England back from success in these tournaments you know is there a real danger that even regardless of the result against the German Germany there are no games left for Southgate now so like is there anything realistic he can do to try and get the public back on side before they go into this tournament the main thing he'll be doing for the next what 49 50 days is praying that none of his players get injured and particularly the four players you can probably have four players who are just nailed on starters against Iran in the first game. Um, what can he do? I mean, I think he'll probably have another look at Ivan Tony, James Madison, who's not been in this squad, has been superb in a difficult season so far for, for, for Leicester City. Do England need number 10? I think one of the good things about Southgate is that he doesn't just think about the England senior team. He thinks about the age groups. He thinks about player development in this country, which was part of his role at the Football Association before taking on the under-21s and then the senior role. And I think he will. I mean, he was, we were talking about Kimmich, who's such a dangerous player. 
and he was talking about why don't we why don't we have these playmaking pivots who can disrupt attacks, take the ball off the centre backs, and then create the move forward. And, and maybe that's something that the academies over here, and we've got these amazing academies, Premier League academies, with so much money and great coaches and unbelievable facilities. You know, maybe they also start to look at why aren't we producing these sort of players? And maybe when you've got a fantastic generation of six, seven, eight-year-olds, just look at them and think, well, they're not, they're not all going to be wide raiders like a sort of Sancho or Rashford or Saka. Maybe have, you know, they're not all going to be number 10s. Maybe let's have some of them who would play slightly deeper. Obviously got Jude Bellingham is doing fantastically at Borussia Dortmund, but he's a slightly different player. Declan Rice, ditto. You know, he's a, he's a slightly different player. You want that all-round Kimmich who can pass, who can thread, who can tackle, who can build, who's an intelligent, who's a leader, the all-round sort of central midfield package. So I think he will look at things like that. But again, that's a long-term development. I mean, personally, I, look, Southgate may walk at the World Cup if he feels the fans have turned against I don't think why so much about the media, whatever he says. I think he'll, if the fans turn against him, the fans have been pretty loyal until the last two games. And if the if he feels he's losing the belief of the players, then I think he might walk in Qatar if the results don't go to plan. But the, the, the football association aren't going to sack him. There's partly for financial reasons and partly because they like him and you know they want him to build for 2024, whatever happens in Qatar. But yeah, it's never quiet with England. And Henry, before we let you go, it's a little over 50 days till the World Cup uh, kicks off. And over the weekend, a result that that might have caused. Uh, England observers, some concern was that uh, Iran beat Uruguay in a in a friendly in Austria one 0 Now, last time I looked at the the bookmakers' odds, this was before that match. Iran were five hundred to one, and they're still five hundred to one despite that result. Uh, are the England uh, fans noticing that just how difficult this group might be? I think they they first looked at it and thought Iran, USA, and Wales. This should be a doddle. Uh, it's it's not so. Uh, uh, so easy, um, given the, the recent form of some of those sides. Well, the Welsh did better than England at 2016. USA inflicted probably the most humiliating result on English football, 1950, 1-0. Um, Belo you know, it, I was born a fair bit of time after that, but that result was was seared, you know, is seared into your mind as, a, as an England fan, as an England uh, journalist, Iran as well. I mean, England have been tripped up before. So th- there's no sort of complacency or arrogance going into the group stage. Having said that, the risk of being arrogant, slightly complacent, England should qualify from that group. Um, the order of games makes it slightly more sympathetic and negotiable for England to get out of the group. So uh, if England if, <laughs> if England don't get out of that group, you'll be ringing me every five minutes. Um, it'll be... It'll be carnage, absolute, absolute carnage, and I think Qatar's uh, no alcohol rule might uh, might be might get tested heavily by the press, let alone the, the um, probably by the players as well. Um, so look, that will be. I've seen England knocked out and embarrassed in some extraordinary places around the world, and uh, but Qatar would would just probably take the biscuit. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to say take something else there for a moment, Henry, but um, it probably would take that too. But <laughs> Henry, thank you again for, for joining us. You're always generous with your time, mate. We, we love having a yarn with you and we know all of our, uh, our listeners uh, love listening to you as well. So, uh, mate, uh, you stay well. Uh, all the best for this evening's game, your time, and uh, we'll be reading your copy in the Times uh, post-match, regardless of what happens. Yeah, great talking to you and love to your amazing country. I had the, probably the best holiday of my life there with the kids in Sydney and then up on the amazing Barrier Reef. So uh, it's the only place I've ever left heading in an airport, mm. Sydney airport, going home. I turned to my wife and said, I don't want to go home. And I'm actually, in a way, I'm glad I didn't go to Australia when I was mm. 2021. There's yeah. no way I would have returned. Well, Derek actually did. He's uh, eight years in, aren't you, Derek? Yeah. Uh, getting up to nine now. Yeah, just recently got his citizenship. He's not quite got the uh, the cork hat, um, but you know we, we'll we'll invest him with working on his next birthday. Yeah, congratulations, Dave. It's it's a great honour. I mean, you as a sporting nation, as a nation, you punch above your weight on so many so many issues. I have one dream before I die, and that's to drive coast to coast in Australia, just to see that the whole stretch and sweep of the country. It might mm. take me a few years, but uh, I would love mm. to do it. So look, you're blessed to live in a beautiful country. And I'm just mm. slightly encouraged to hear that it's raining today and we've got the summer. <laughs> so that, that must be a first. <laughs> I can see that shining in from where you are, mate. <laughs> hey, Henry, uh, when you do come, you'll be our very special guest, mate. And uh, we'll show you a good time, that's for sure, mate, you and your family. Henry, thanks again. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. Henry Winter, he's, uh, if he's not the best uh, football journalist in the world, he's in the grand final. And uh, we know you love listening to him. So next on box to box stick around a little bit more on the World Cup with World Cup Corner. Hey, hey, Chemist Warehouse, our very good friends. They've been with us since day one. I see William dancing to the jingle in the background. Now, normally we talk about uh, half-price specials or protein powders and things like that. This week, I want to talk to you about telehealth, telehealth within minutes. Now, Derek, you've taken a tree change over COVID. You don't always have the chance to get medical advice immediately. So with telehealth, you can get access to medical advice, prescriptions and more between 6 a.m. and midnight, seven days a week from just 35 bucks. All you've got to do is download the Instant Consult app, sign up and have a telehealth consultation with an experienced Australian registered doctor via a video call within 15 minutes. Did you hear what I said? 6 a.m. and midnight. Amazing. Skip the waiting room with Instant Consult. Download Instant Consult today and get your next prescription emailed direct to your nominated chemist warehouse or other pharmacy if there's not a chemist warehouse handy. They are very, very generous, our friends. So pretty handy for people who live outside of town, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I don't know why I would even bother going to the doctors anymore. That just sounds like the ideal situation. I love making my life efficient. So uh, doing the doctors from home sounds like the one for me, Rob. That's it. The instant consult up. Just get it 35 bucks a week from supported by our friends at Chemist Warehouse. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Cozzy there. Good to hear he was a little optimistic, even, um, you know, sort of prognosticating on a scenario where we get out of the group. I, I like that. Um, Edge, uh, do you feel a little more confident having chatted to your great mate? Oh, look, you know, Cozzy's always good to talk to about these things because he's got a very educated view of it all. And, you know, I've always thought they're a chance to get out of the group. Um, you know, I've seen them up close um, over the last uh, 12 months. I, I know... I think the group is underestimated to a certain extent. I thought the 
you know, the last two big games they played, you know, Emirates and um, and uh, obviously Peru, they did exceptionally well. And, you know, I, I think that uh, we should uh, have some optimism about getting out of the group now, whether we can win the World Cup. You know, that's, uh, as Cosie said, you know, that's unlikely of the highest proportions. But, you know, can we get out of the group? Um, yes, we'll need to get a draw against France, and that's probably where it starts for the Socceroos. Certainly some optimism around the finances of the game at the moment, Michael. The Socceroos have a naming rights partner for the first time since 2019 with Subway signing a three-year deal reported to be worth just under $12 million. That figure sees it break the previous record for an Australian national team sponsorship and includes naming rights for the Joeys, Ollie Roos and Young Socceroos. Football Australia's revenue is on track to hit $100 million for the 2023 financial year, up from a rough average of $85 million that was standard in the years leading up to the pandemic. Michael, did you have a quick comment on the financial recovery uh, of Football Australia post-pandemic. That is a great result for the sport. Well done to uh, everybody at Football Australia, in particular a shout-out to Tom Rishpeth, who um, has been a big part of it. So um, I think that is a fantastic announcement, um, and we should welcome it. And uh, if uh, you're a football fan, go and buy yourself a footlong, Rob. A couple of points from an advertising point of view. Derek, um, uh, in his uh, usual dry kind of way, when we uh, were talking about the Subway, uh, he, he was talking about a nice little uh, connection between the subs bench and Subway. But um, I, I've got to, I'd love to know whether uh, somebody from um, Football Australia uh, identified the colours of Subway as green and gold and that was the, the precursor to, to the conversation because it, it makes perfect sense to, to, to start that discussion, get a good fit around them, uh, bring around the marketing people and the top level execs at Subway to say, hey, we could do something special here and just draw them in from that point of view. But uh, hey, if it All happened, we need now uh, is the uh, people behind the jump at the Subway outlets around Australia wear white socks for them. Yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. And, and Edge, before you go, Willem, we did see um, the green and gold army signage um, at Suncorp last week. Uh, did you really? Uh, the subway okay, signs, yeah. And then there, you you were obviously promoting. I know, Willem, you're going to get to this in a moment, but um, letting uh, the fans watching know that there was uh, still some space on the trip to Qatar. There certainly is, Robin. 600,000 tickets will go on sale at noon Doha time, so 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday. So... Um, if you've got any inclination of going, get on and get a ticket. There'll be plenty of tickets. These are new tickets. There's still the resale portal as well. So um, there's still plenty of tickets available and you can get onto the Green and Gold Army Tour. Only about 20 places remain and uh, you need to be quick and uh, we'll welcome you with open arms and you'll have the, uh, a fabulous time um, at uh, one, of the most un- one of the most unique World Cups in the history of the sport. Perth Glory are going to relocate to Macedonia Park. Sterling for 10 of 13 home matches this season. Glory had expected to miss four games as renovations for the Women's World Cup were completed, but delays will see them miss the bulk of the campaign. New Glory CEO Anthony Radich thanked the state government for their financial support and said the club had worked tirelessly to find a rectangular venue. The Glory's first home match will be against Brisbane Raw in round five. Rob. I think we can all agree that the shed, when it's full and heaving, is one of the best sites in the A-League. Uh, you've usually got the uh, the Gene Simmons, you've got the Purple Gorilla, uh, they're all in amongst it there, but this is another kick in the pants for the poor Glory supporters who have had it tougher than just about anyone, save for the Phoenix supporters, uh, over the past three years. On the upside, they're going to get a fully renovated stadium that's going to be prepared and kitted out for a World Cup, so it's only you know a, a, a season that they've got to deal with at Edge. Yeah, will you tolerate that? Yeah, yeah, look, um, uh, it's just one of those things. It's a bit unfortunate for them that uh, they haven't got the stadium ready and they'll have to do what they need to do. They'll have to obviously put some serious temporary sands because that um, the North Macedonian community ground is uh, is pretty tiny. Uh, it's a sort of NPL standard just. So um, they'll have to obviously 
put some temporary infrastructure in there to keep it, keep it uh, of some sort of standard that's acceptable for A-League. Yeah. Over to Europe, Croatia and the Netherlands have reached the semi-finals of the Nations League with Austria and Wales relegated from their groups. The Dutch went through their six games undefeated thanks to Virgil van Dijk's winner over Belgium, while Croatia did France a favour in defeating Austria. Had Austria managed a result, the French would have been relegated, so they survived by the skin of their teeth. Issues also in England, as you mentioned off the top, Rob, uh, top of the show, they've lost 1-0 to Italy. Uh, the Italians in great form in every tournament but the World Cup. Uh, Rob, we are four years in now to the Nations League. I couldn't tell you who's won it. Um, they're probably better tune-up matches for the World Cup than what our Socceroos have been playing, but has this mm. tournament caught the emotion uh, emotion around the world as yet? I, I hesitate to use a, a, a pejorative term to describe the, the smaller nations, but the, you know, the lesser nations... You leave nations, Gibraltar alone, Rob. Yeah. Don't you pick on Gibraltar, mate. No, I won't pick on Gibraltar, but let's use Gibraltar as an example. Uh, I mean, we talked about hope with Cosy, and uh, and you've got to have hope. You've got to, you know, uh, give yourself some um, expectation that uh, on the very best day, over a period of time, uh, you'll get a golden generation of players that will, will go on a football journey. Say like, uh, you know, the FA Cup or the Australia Cup, something like that. So, so look, uh, you know, for the big nations, as we've seen with England, you know, relegated after losing to Italy, uh, it's, it's not so big a deal. But for those next tier nations, it, 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 it at least uh, put some some um, import onto you know what was formerly a you know a pointless friendly. Let's jump on to Socceroos and Matildas Central. We are less than two months out from the biggest show in world sport, and there's still time for you to join the Green and Gold Army. We're less than a fortnight from Matildas' next matches against uh, South Africa in London. Uh, that's coming around quickly. Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford both started for Arsenal in front of 47,000 fans against Tottenham, and both registered an assist in the 4-0 route. Kai Simon also started for Spurs. The win takes the Gunners to the top of the table with two wins from two. So normal service resuming there in the English Women's Super League with Arsenal up top. Emily Gelnick opened her account for the season with the second in Aston Villa's tuna win over Leicester, while Sam Kerr, Hayley Rasso and Alana Kennedy all started as Chelsea defeated Man City 2-0. And Jacinta Galabarachichi was on the score sheet again for Celtic in a 3-0 win over Aberdeen. And in the States, uh, Emily Van Egmont played a full match for San Diego Wave as they fought back from two goals down to salvage a point against Orlando. Just before we move on, Rob, 47 thousand fans that really does uh back up that the uh emotion and the uh momentum around the euros uh was not just consigned to sort of yeah national excitement but it is a, an ingrained uh thing that we're starting to uh, to see through uh throughout the season we n- knew all along would eventually happen just how soon it was going to happen was was the big question so when you saw i mean the the fact that there were half a million tickets sold uh, double the amount of tickets sold in the previous women's euros it suggested that there was uh, you know a real groundswell there and we're seeing it play out in uh, in in competition football um before our eyes and to finish, just wanted to go back to the Socceroos team of the century. Congratulations again to John Cosmina uh, for being part of that squad. Uh, it was a 16-member uh, squad that had come through a fan vote uh, and a further seven at the advice of football historians. Gus Hiddink was named manager, Ange Postacoglu, Raleigh Rasic, and Graham Arnold, his assistants. Uh, Michael, just the two from the 1974 squad, Peter Wilson and Johnny Warren, did that surprise you at all? No, Jack Riley, Manfred Schaefer, Jimmy Mackay, Jimmy Rooney. That certainly surprised me. Jimmy Rooney and Jimmy Mackay are probably the ones that uh, might have snuck in on the bench. I don't know about Jack Riley. Um, goalkeeping uh, contingent is ahead of him. Um, yeah, look, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough one, isn't it? You know, um, Jimmy McKay was a really important player to them in uh, in that to all of that lead up and 
to, at the uh, 74 World Cup. So look, look, it is what it is. Um, there's been some good people uh, assess uh, the team. And I just thought um, the whole celebration of the Socceroos uh, up on in Brisbane on Thursday night of the past 100 years was really well done. So uh, congratulations to everyone named in that uh, team of the century. What an absolute honour. And our own John Cosmina, you know, front and centre there, um, he, he was a gun. No doubt about it. All right. After the break, uh, we're going to talk to Henry Winter. We love talking to Henry. He's been so nice. But over the years, we have found some wonderful guests. And uh, when you get a, a football man who has the, the stature of Henry Winter uh, from the Times, uh, you'll be listening to the BBC um, uh, and they'll be talking about Henry's articles when they're reflecting on it. And uh, and we were fortunate enough to uh, to uh, be introduced to Henry a few years back and he, he comes on the show from time to time. We're going to talk to him. Uh, it's morning time in London um, over uh, his side of the world and, uh, and England have just in the past uh, 48 hours been beaten by Italy and they're going to play. Yes. Who would you not want to play when you're under pressure if you're an Englishman? Germany. Henry Winter next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup Corner. Uh, before we go to Willem, Derek, that was a great chat with Henry then. Yeah, he obviously loves Australia, doesn't he? I mean, you know, he comes on this show with absolutely, uh, you know, no hesitation. And he tells us every time how much he loves Australia. I think he wants to move here, Rob. When he was talking to you about um, about your visa process, he sounded like he was uh, he was taking some notes and doing a bit of research. But no, Henry's a great fella. Well, um, Edge has left the building because he's busy over there in Qatar, uh, literally on the corner of uh, somewhere that's going to play a World Cup. But uh, um, yeah, what's your, what's your highlights for World Cup watchers at the moment? Uh, tidbits galore at the moment, Rob. The English FA is pushing for the establishment of a migrant workers centre in Qatar, lobbying FIFA to ensure promised labour laws are actually enforced in the country. The FA are also pushing for the establishment of a compensation fund for workers uh, injured or killed during construction. England are also among eight European nations whose captains have pledged to wear the one love armbands on the pitch in support of LGBTQI rights, which are uh, homosexuality is, of course, illegal in Qatar. Uh, it's been reported the authorities are likely to reject the fund uh, but will accept the Labor Laws Centre. Uh, Derek, those nations wearing the armbands are England, Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland, France, Wales, Belgium and Denmark. And I'd be very surprised if the Socceroos, Canada, the US, uh, these sorts of nations don't follow suit. Uh, what does what do you make of all that, Derek? Are these... Uh, how, how does that how does that wash up? That seems to me to be more than platitudes. That seems like some concrete action. Yeah, well, if they're building a centre, it could literally be some concrete action to make the, sure. But keep an eye on who's actually building that centre. Could be the migrant workers themselves. But um, yeah, look, it doesn't seem tokenistic. I mean, I suppose the timing feels a little bit. I mean, we're two two months away from the World Cup, and maybe this could have been brought up a little earlier. This almost feels a little bit like a bit of crisis communications or strategic PR around going, oh, yeah, we're going to that country now, aren't we? So we better roll something out that sounds good. Um, and, uh, you know, but they, they, they all sound like decent things, so we don't want to run roughshod over them entirely. I just wonder what their motivations were. And look, with the uh, with the solidarity, with the, uh, uh, with the um, LGBT community there, um, 
you know, it's had a warmish reception. Uh, I think some people have been critical of it. And it's been seen as a little bit tokenistic and doesn't really go to the heart of any of the issues. It's like it's an armband at the end of the day. But look, it will be highly visible. It will be on the arms of some pretty significant players um, throughout the tournament. And it will, uh, you know, give that a spotlight in front of billions of people. So it's easy to... Easy to pick through it after it's happened. I wouldn't want to be in the room making those decisions, that's for sure. The chief executive of the tournament, Nasser al Qatar, has said the country's infrastructure is fully ready and that all that remains is, quote, the beautification of the streets and final touches, the icing on the cake at the end of this beautiful journey. However, US media outlet Bloomberg have said that there were 11,000 new hotel rooms and 12,000 residential units set to be opened up in the second half of this year. We're looking at more likely 8,000 and 5,000. Uh, a new sewerage system in Doha's uh, West Bay is also causing significant delay, uh, and working hours have been interesting. There was uh, there was a, a basically a stop work uh, enforcement brought in late in the piece between ten am and three thirty during the Qatari summer. Uh, that has been lifted since the general change of seasons uh, from September fifteen. Uh, Rob Michael probably would have been better to speak on this one, but uh, there's always going to be the, the political speak from our friend Nasser Al Qatar. Uh, mm. How do you feel about this? I mean, you know, overcrowding in football is certainly not a joking matter. Uh, however, these major events tend to work out. How do you feel about it? Yeah, look, it's it's so difficult to to unpick um, the truth from fiction in in these stories, isn't it? You know, when you when you um, try to uh, to watch from afar, and uh, and we know we we get uh, some pretty good uh, information from Edge, and you know he doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he's uh, he's been on the show a number of times and uh, and commented on on the story. So look. Um, Unfortunately, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, in this instance, uh, it's uh, it's easy to, to sort of uh, to, to as you know to to use Derek's phrase, pick the pick the eyes out of it. But uh, I sort of almost want to sit on the fence on this one. Uh, that's rare for you, Rob. So I'll give that one uh, give that one to you. No worries. And just onto the pitch to finish, Argentina look likely to head to the World Cup on a 35 game unbeaten run following a three 0 win over Honduras. They have just Jamaica left to play before they meet Saudi Arabia in Qatar. Two goals to Lionel Messi followed Lautaro Martinez's opener. Uh, and Derek, most bookies would have uh, Argentina right in the mix, uh, usually within the top four to add a third World Cup. Elsewhere, Brazil and Ghana met in La Havre, France, with Brazil running out three 0 winners. Uh, goals to Marquinhos and two to Richarlison. It's a bit of a generalised trope and you could probably write a thesis on it, uh, but the idea is sort of that we're now 20 years on from the last South American winners of the World Cup and maybe that's because the professionalisation of European football moved ahead, uh, but 35 unbeaten is certainly very professional. So do you think maybe we're seeing the gap closing? Yeah, well, Argentina are rightly one of the favourites. I think there's a lot of us that... Um, would like to see Messi do something in what will surely be his, his final World Cup. So I think there's quite a bit of, of sentiment there. But you mentioned Lorato Martinez before. He's a fantastic player and, and they do have options uh, across the park. So why not Argentina? But I think Brazil, they've got so much depth. And look, just as, a, as an Arsenal fan, the fact that they can leave um, Gabriel uh, Jesus, I mean, to a lesser extent, Marcinelli, albeit he's been in tremendous form as well. The fact that they can leave those two players uh, out of the squad entirely just absolutely shows what um, what kind of depth they have. We were talking to Henry Winter about England maybe chucking on Ivan Tony. You know, he's great prospects and enjoy watching him, but he's not Gabriel Jesus, is he? So um, I think both of those are, are going to go far for sure. Derek, thank you. 
Thank you. And uh, Edge, if you're listening, I hope hope you made that meeting, mate. <laughs> exactly. And Damo, thank you. I know if you've been listening carefully over the last few weeks, we keep on promising to drag Damo out from behind the mic. Uh, I think that might be happening in the next week or two. So keep tuning in and you'll hear the dulcet tones of the great D. Tardio talking City R very soon. Now, thank you again for listening to us. Please subscribe to Box to Box wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box and follow us on Twitter. And as I've said, it won't be long before we start sharing some feedback on the show. We're just counting it up and we're going to pick some of the eyes out of it and start talking about it soon. Tune in, look out for uh, for stoppage time. It'll drop later on in the week. Like us on Facebook and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.